You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you a casual conversation on the shows, concerts, and events that we see and observe throughout our careers. We would just like to let you all, all know that this will feature spoilers, this episode that you're listening to today about the piece we're talking about. So please make sure you have seen or read or learned about the piece that we're discussing before continuing on. You have been warned, as I always say. <laughs> today we are talking about the Broadway production, How I Learned to Drive, a Pulitzer Prize winning play by Paula Vogel. Uh, a little bit of this is the Broadway production that was supposed to come pre COVID uh, and is now here again on the stage. Did have a New York premiere off Broadway in 1997. So, this is the first time we're seeing this play on Broadway. I'll give a little background on this piece. Uh, as I said earlier, How I Learned to Drive is a play written by American playwright Paula Vogel. It did premiere in 1997 off Broadway at the Vineyard Theater. And it was actually written and developed at the Perseverance Theater in Juneau, Alaska. Uh, we know if you've seen this production, um, and hopefully you're listening because you've already seen it or you've read it. Um, we, we know the story follows the strained sexual relationship between Little Bit and her aunt's husband, Uncle Peck, um, from her pre-adolescence through her teenage years into college and beyond. Using the metaphor of driving and the issues of pedophilia, incest, and misogyny, the play explores the ideas of control and manipulation, as the summary says. Um, it's amazing to see, oh, I will just also like to say Mary Louise Parker and David Morse were in this 25 years ago off Broadway are now reprising those, these roles on stage in the Broadway production in the same roles 25 years later, which I think is, a, is an astonishing thing in and of itself to see that. So, um, and also this production is at the Manhattan Theater Club at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater on Broadway, and it was directed by Mark Brokaw. So lots to kind of unwrap and unfold here. I think there's a lot of things going on in this. It's only about a 100-minute play. But um, captivating Mm -hmm. and really stunning to see this live on stage, Uh, especially since the last few shows we've been seeing have been, you know, upbeat comedy, comedy, upbeat, upbeat musical Mm -hmm. theater. And so – what are we? What do you think about something like this and putting this in a big Broadway house and and telling a story like this? What were your overall thoughts of the piece? Well, let's see where to go because right now, starting with this show, there's like you said, it's a 
lot to unpack in this story here, and it's definitely one of the more serious pieces that I've seen and probably that we've seen together. I think uh, it's super important to tell a story like this because we don't always see a story that is focused and not just about, you know, incestual relationships or stuff like that that happens within family, but just um, as it's like just sexual predators in itself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how many different types are out there. This is just one that focused more on an uncle and niece's relationship. But, uh, you know, starting with this, like, it's serious material, but right away, you have we have to go to like the root of what's happening within the the play and the text here, and it's like this is not just about this family being, you know, uneducated or anything like that. It's like it's just rooted from the hierarchy down that this is what was going on within this family. The way the grandfather would talk to the children, the way he would talk to his grandchildren and so on. So it's like you have grandfather, then you have uncle and then we have niece. And it's just the way that they talk to each other just seemed like this is so rooted in that. It's what they've learned. And it's like, does that make it okay? Definitely not. But it's like, it's, it's interesting to watch it from that perspective. For sure. I think the setup of the stage having a Greek chorus is really important. Yeah. Could this have been a two-person play? Sure. But I think what's fascinating about the Greek chorus is they kind of seem to stumble in and out. And I use the word stumble in a positive way. Yeah. Um, when the memory of the person, because we have to remember this is a memory play. Yeah. If we remember that this is a memory play and it's about someone recalling a memory, Of course, it's going to feel jolted. When we as humans think back to a memory, sometimes we get a a sequence of events out of order, or sometimes we forget parts of a memory. The Greek chorus was almost there to play the people that weren't there in the two person scenes. They were there to fill in gaps. They would sometimes speak right when someone was trailing off a sentence. Mm -hmm. It was never clean cut ends of scenes at times, which I think is purposely done in the direction of it too. And I think... The setup of that really helps understand this more. This is a story that is being told live eight times a week on a stage. And how many times do we see a playwright take a very big leap of faith and a a risk of saying, I'm going to talk about the things that we don't talk about. And I think that I'm going to make the audience feel uncomfortable at times. How many times did we hear people nervous laugh in that theater? Mm -hmm. Not like belly laugh, ha, 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 because there was comedic moments, but it certainly wasn't like comedy comedic moments. It was like, oh, I think that was kind of funny. Maybe I'll laugh here, ha, ha, because I think – and. I was like, oh, some of this is so jarring to me that this audience is uncomfortably laughing at times with what's going on because nothing about what's going on is funny. But there was one-liners here and there to add some relief to this piece. Um, I think the laughing was coming from the whole, I can't believe that's happening on stage. mm -hmm. Oh, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. No, but it does, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's where some laughter might have been coming from in the audience because it's like, I think we're so far removed and like this is taking place in, where does this take place? 60s, 70s in Maryland. In Maryland, you know, in a different place. When you take yourself out of a New York bubble, not to say that it's not probably happening in like more city-like New York, California areas, but like 
this it's like you you would think this is like deep south mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know a deep south family like that has this stuff going on and i think that's where as an audience member we're watching this and we're like oh i can't believe that would be said that there's no way that could be said by the uncle or the grandfather and it it is you know and and i think when you look at mary louise parker and david morris I was just fascinated to see these two people who originated this mm-hmm. doing it again, and it, and and it being a memory play. Of it, what's fascinating is they could literally do it again twenty five years from now. Yeah, if they're God willing, still living and acting and working, right? Because it's a memory piece. It almost never mattered what age they were as actors because right. they're, and she's brilliant at playing young and middle age and older and, and, and telling that story. She's a wonderful actress. And so is David Morse. I mean, these two people are, are having these scenes and, 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 and this whole umbrella over this piece is uncomfortability in theater. Mm-hmm. Theater is not always meant to be this very cookie cutter, safe theater environment. Of course, always, everyone should always feel safe doing theater, but I mean is like subject yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. And I think to go down this path, I, only, I knew what we were going into. I knew this was a play I'd read this a long time ago. That It's a Pulitzer Prize winning play. I mean, to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama is a very, very, very big deal in America, especially here. So I think to see someone like Paula Vogel is a brilliant playwright, say, I'm going to take risks. I'm going to put this on stage and I'm going to write out dialogue between a sexual predator and a victim. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to write that out on paper and people are going to read those words aloud. What power that gives to a victim Mm -hmm. of someone who maybe doesn't feel seen or heard and is now going to be seen and heard. I, I, um, in, there was a review from one of the, I think the Elle magazine review back in 2006 when this was produced at another theater and the reviewer used the words to describe the play twisted, smart, and ultimately tragic. Mm-hmm. And what three very different words those are, but that's how I felt. Those three words really stunned me that this was such smart writing. It was so twisted mm-hmm. and yet it was ultimately a tragedy. And when we listen, when I say, oh, we're going to go see a comedy, you know what you're kind of going into. When I say you're going into a tragedy, we're going into Shakespeare. Yeah. We're going to go into, you know, something, um, Tennessee Williams can sometimes be tragedy, some of that. When you see this, you're like, oh, this is a modern trap. This is a real world tragedy. Yeah. And we need, we, I felt as an audience that I just needed to sit there and just listen to these words. I didn't find in the direction that it was overstaged no. or, or there was too much movement or, or projection or blocking or it was simple. And it was, it was captivating to hear these people speak and just have this dialogue together. I don't know how often we see that on the main Broadway stage. We certainly see stuff like this off Broadway and regionally all the time. Yes. But I was fascinated to see this in a Broadway house. And I think there were some great direction choices that were happening on the stage. There's some major monologues happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for like 10 minutes at a time where one person is doing all of the acting. There's a the, the one monologue that Uncle Peck does on his own where he's teaching probably his nephew, right? How to fish. Correct. And it's this whole scene. And like, you have to use your imagination to watch this scene happening to see like, okay, he's talking to a kid. There's other people around, but it's not put there for you. You have to imagine it. You have to watch this whole scene. And what he's doing in that role, it's, 
that's where it gets twisted. Mm-hmm. You know, like what they said, it, it gets very twisted in that sense. Like, whoa, he is praying on anything. Mm-hmm. He's praying on the fish. He's praying on his masculinity to the people around him. And he's also kind of praying on his nephew. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what happens after that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go to a treehouse or something. But the immediate thing is, you can't tell anyone we went there. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. What happened in that tree? And he has that line where he's like, oh, don't worry about how the fish feels. It's fine. The fish yeah. literally being the victim. I think I paraphrased that, but that's basically what he's saying. It's, mm-hmm. and it's just Paul Vogel's way of just putting all this mystery in every dimension of that character. And that's something that like we talk about all the time. Like, What is held to a bigger standard in society when, when it comes to like animals itself? Right. You know, it's just or, a or fish. Just, right. Or... Or it's, it's just, just a cow. A, right. Or, or it's just sadly, a, it's, oh, it's just this human. And yeah. that's what's so sad, too, is that it's not. And that this and this is a abuser yeah. and a predator. And I think that's the, the perfect way to kind of say that, though. Oh, it's just this. So, yeah. Oh, it's just a kid. Or, oh, it's just a young girl. Or, you know, I could do this because I'm her uncle. Mm-hmm. But we're not blood related. It's, right. It's crazy that the, the that, that character had to find this justification throughout the whole piece. Yes. And where, as an audience member, do you find that this came from with him? Well, it it, it allows the audience to – it really – I mean, Mary Louise Parker's character is narrating the whole thing in the recourse. But it's got to be difficult to be someone like David Morse doing this. It's got to be difficult to be this acclaimed, wonderful actor and saying, I'm going to now speak the words of this pretty horrible person, and I'm going to have to portray this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to have these scenes in dialogue. It's got, it's just, it's that, that piece must be difficult to perform, and they're making it look so easy. Oh, for but, sure. But it's got to be difficult. And I think what's also think. Uh, what I usually confusion in a movie or confusion in theater um, takes him, taking me in different time periods gets confusing. It just 100% works here mm-hmm. because it's a memory piece that's not told chronologically. So it makes sense that she's recalling different parts of this whole experience in different ways because that's how in her mind she is processing this later in her life. Mm-hmm. It was amazing towards the end how you saw their first driving experience and their last driving or her one her last yeah. driving experience back to back almost at the end. I thought that was really really smart writing. And I also will say that driving is this major metaphor that I would have never, who would have ever thought to put that with something like this? Learning to drive. There's the, there's the literal. She's literally learning to drive the car. She is alone with him in a car in a space that you're learning with one other person. And the way the Greek chorus would tell that by saying, shifting into neutral, reversing, going forward. Doing this, doing the car needs to be checked, like using the terminology of the car to describe this experience. I found such interesting thought in when she relied on the radio mm-hmm. as her, her 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 escape. Yeah, that was her escape from him. That was her escape when she was driving, was cranking the radio and finding that she thinks she says that was the most important. What's the first thing you do in the car? Turn the radio. You know, that's tragic mm-hmm. and that's telling. I think things like that were really, really wonderfully written in the piece. Well, it's kind of interesting when you when you kind of analyze that a bit more after like seeing the show yesterday, thinking about it, and then now talking about it now. It's like you just keep watching different things play back. You know, 
at some point it's like, did she ever even learn how to drive the car? Right, right. Did she ever really learn how to drive the car from him? Because when she was in control was when she was like, okay, I'm going to turn the radio on. I'm checking my mirrors. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Until he said no. And it was, and then what was fascinating, and we, ta- we were talking about this before we got on air here, was how fascinating is that the one memory we see where she, meaning Mary Louise Parker, does not speak and the Greek chorus person speaks mm-hmm. is her first experience with him, where her innocence is really removed. And when she gets on his lap and when he's inappropriately touching her and when he's telling her what to do, that first experience towards the end of the play, mm-hmm. it's fascinating that she's not speaking. Yeah. And someone else's literal voice has to speak there. And she almost like she can't recall that memory herself, maybe because of pain or maybe because it was that long ago or both. Probably, I found that to be fascinating in the way that was staged. And that's probably because of the innocence being taken mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time she got on her uncle's lap and then he molested her. Right. It was like you you watch the Greek chorus do this monologue of her being so happy and innocent and this. And sl- like a flip of the switch. Why are you doing that to me? Mm-hmm. What is happening? And to hear those words come out, it, you could hear a pin drop in that theater. Oh, everyone yes. Listened. By that moment, for sure. And it was like, whoa, this is this is crazy. This is very sick and twisted watching that. But that is what happens. This is what is like probably still happening to this day. It's so, so sad. And, and the journey through the piece, mm-hmm. this might be going a little too far-fetched, but... I felt like I was on a car on a journey going backwards and forwards and left and right. But it didn't feel jolting. Like that sounds jolting. It felt like miraculously I was on a straight and narrow path of a plot and I wasn't. I've never felt like that in a play where I I don't think, where I've felt like, wow, we're really jumping all over the place here. But I totally am on one path in what this piece is trying to say. That's brilliant playwriting to me. And I want to quote Paula Vogel. She explained that the intent of this play, and just tell me what you think of this quote. She said, she intended the play, quote, to get the audience to go along for a ride they wouldn't ordinarily take or don't even know they're taking, end quote. That's fascinating to me. She's putting her audiences through this ride and saying, buckle up, no pun intended, because you might not know where we're going right now. And maybe a lot of you don't understand or relate to this, but maybe some of you do. And regardless, you may not even know where we're going right now at this, but just hold on and listen. Yeah. And that's really, really, really good theater making, I think. But also probably to be in that, in that room watching this play too. And what if something similar has happened to you? How as an audience member seeing this might make you feel when something like this is being put on? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's it it's pretty serious for some people. It because is. Because whether it's a family member, a friend, a coworker, any anyone could touch you in the wrong way. And it starts with the touch. Mm-hmm. And and how do you how do we as an audience react to seeing that? Yeah. How do we become proactive to assist in victims and the help that they need and, 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 and just, just soaking this in? I think there's something about watching this and just learning. 
Yeah. It, this is like an educational piece in a way for me because I'm learning what uh, 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 people go through in this world, which is so sad. Do you think – what do you think the root, though, for the uncle is in this play? Oh, it's not – to me, it seems like, you know, th- there's no way to justify – of course, what he's doing because no, it makes not no to, sense not to, to, to justify. Just, but no, of like, course do not. Do you think we go to a place with the uncle on why he's doing what he's doing? Um, I think you you try to hear in some of that speaking how he's trying to explain. Well, we was looking forward to your 18th birthday, and I wanted to learn take you out of drive car. And you're my niece, and I love you. And I, he's yeah. trying to say that through what, and she's just saying no, 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 no. Yeah. So in a way, what Paula Vogel does is she's giving him a way of expressing himself that obviously is an abuser speaking and you don't understand this person, but she's giving narration and dialogue between these two people. She's not, and she's allowing the Greek chorus to fill in when needed. It makes complete sense to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got, that's why I said it's had to have been difficult for her to sit here and write out, well, what does, what does the uncle say here now? Yeah. What does the uncle do here now? How difficult must have that have been for her to write out uh, and have an actor perform when um, and when you're trying to say this is an abuser and I don't want to I, I I don't want to give this person any time of day, but at the same time I am writing a play and I have to have dialogue here. Yeah, because she writes from a, an interesting perspective. She writes from both point of views. She writes mm. a story about showing, first of all, what a child confuses for love, right. And when innocence is taken away from the the photographing of the niece to the molesting of the niece to doing all of these things to confusing the niece into being in love with him. Yeah. Whereas as she got older, she realized more and more. But she she just wanted to help him. There's a scene between Uncle Peck and Little little Bit that – she goes into the kitchen and she could tell that alcohol is his clutch. Alcohol is the thing right. that he turns to to block out something. So my major thing is what is Uncle Peck trying to block out? And then what is he then using as his clutch to escape it? You know, alcohol is one thing. Then a pedophilia style love incestual relationship with his niece it's blocking out something Mm -hmm. you know i I look more as this as a learning piece of like how do we prevent people from doing this how do we get people to talk about things because at the same time little bit did she ever talk about this after with a family member with a therapist with a friend or did she just let it go Mm -hmm. and i think that's the bigger thing this should be talked about how do people come forward when it immediately happens to say hey something's not right something's happening to me and i need your help mom or i need your help grandpa Mm -hmm. except probably bad choice in this play but you know what i mean to say like hey i'm being abused by my uncle Right. And, and, I, it, it, and I, I feel like that's a huge learning point and probably a big story, you know, point in this play is how do we get to the root of this before it happens? How do we help someone who maybe has an alcohol addiction or or is like a pedophile before they actually act on doing something? And how does this victim who's been through this move forward with her life? I Because I, I find the fascination in the title, How I Learned to Drive. We, we're leaving off something to me. How I learned to drive a car. 
Yeah. A car is left off. How I learned to drive through life. Yeah. That too. How I learned to drive away from my past. I mean, do you see how many times you can finish that sentence? Right. That's fascinating to right. me. Of course, it's assumed how I learned to drive a car, but but she doesn't put a car in the title. And, well, and, and drive can also be a, another word for sex. How I learned to have sex. Yeah, and that's sad. Yeah. And then also we have to, you know, we have to talk about this ending because to me. It was to, I found what was chilling, and I don't know if you agree with this or not. She finally was in the car. She was fixing her mirrors. She was getting, she was cranking the radio, as you were saying earlier. And she, I think the one of her last words, and I put my foot to the metal and I drove off into the, what I, mm-hmm. and, and you hear the car vroom and the lights go out, right? Yeah. But she adjusts her mirror and sees him sitting in the back. That Almost like he's lit the memory. He's literally in the past. He's literally behind her. Yeah. But she's not in that car alone in the end. We're looking at the final scene of this play. What are we left with when the lights go out? Him looking over her shoulder. He she's driving forward, but he's sitting in her past. Yeah. It's almost like I'm when looking you, over her shoulder in the car that she was molested in in yeah. the first place. But also her past relationships with family members, with friends, et cetera, also outside of the car looking as mm-hmm. she leaves. Mm-hmm. Super, super interesting. It's almost like when you're driving a car, if you lose, use literal, if you stare at the rear view mirror the whole time, you might crash your car. Yeah. So you have to look forward and drive forward. And yeah. she does at the end drive forward. It kind of gives you the illusion that she was hopefully, I really hope able to, that this character was able to move forward yeah. and, and, and down through life. Um, and uh, you know, what was a super interesting is like this, a lot of things were happening around her period. So just like in school, it wasn't just about her uncle doing what he did to her. It was about everyone kind of, Treating her like garbage. Mm-hmm. Friends making fun of her because she was well-developed early on in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a guy at a school dance just wanting to dance with her during a, a an upbeat song to watch her boobs jump, go up and down. Right. You know, or kids, you know, making her get wet or take a shower and say, oh, my God, look at me. Look right. at her. Let's look at her. That's all part of this. It's not, this is, it's not just about the uncle in this. He's a major part in this, but it's like everyone needs to kind of step back and reflect on the things that they say to people and how that could be affecting them. Because at the same time, they don't know what's happening at home. Mm -hmm. They don't know what this man is doing to her and then what they're also contributing to, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's where someone who's probably searching for love is going to go to the wrong places. So she's Mm -hmm. looking to be loved and accepted and he's the one doing to to her or giving that love to her she's going to get confused you know there's that whole scene where they're in the hotel room and he's thinking it's going to go one way and she's just there to basically say no we're We're done done. but she still gets into the bed with him Mm -hmm. she still has to just go through the motion of seeing that and she has all these thoughts and what what a great directing choice of having the greek courts come out and say, say these... each things that she's thinking and then to finally be like no mm-hmm. i got to go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i got to get out of here mm-hmm. because what was going to happen next mm-hmm. you know so i i definitely thought there were some great great moments happening from a direction point of view i thought the set being minimal and moving and breathing with the whole show 
was really cool. Yeah. As well. And the, the, des- the design of it was nice because it was simple and it was yeah. simple enough and it didn't need to be anything more than that. And I think the designers understood that. Right. Let the text speak for itself. Let's just give them a nice presence, a nice place to tell this story. Right. And that was like the major thing. Like I always love seeing when there is a show that is breathing, when the set you feel the the set is a character mm-hmm. in the show, and mm-hmm. it was a character mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. As, as is it. this car that we yes. didn't need to see the literal car; we just needed to no. see a chair and 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 what we could imagine, right, mm-hmm. with the sound effects and the lights. One more review I really wanted to read quick was the Ben Brantley review in the New York Times in 2012, the second stage off Broadway production, 2012. He said. It is a performance that captures Miss Vogel's remarkable, clear-eyed empathy in portraying the incalculable damage done by damaged people. It is truly right. clear-eyed empathy that this playwright gives this. It, it's a, it's brilliant that this play. I'm, I, as you can all tell, I'm a huge Paula Vogel fan. I've read other plays of hers. She's a brilliant, brilliant playwright, and I've never seen such clear, concise storytelling where the empathy for this victim is there. I think. Yes, but also if we dissect that a little bit, I think what he's saying is he Uncle Peck is a damaged person. What damaged him to then also want to damage someone else? And I think that's the food for thought there. It's like, mm-hmm. He's a damaged person. Why? How do we figure that out? How do we learn from that? How do we help that person so that he doesn't continue to damage and so that she doesn't go and damage someone else because she was now, she's now a damaged person or she's going to take this and be like, Oh, I'm going to create change, create change. And I'm going to be the bigger person in here. I'm going to do me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I have to leave all of these damaged people in my life to go thrive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a remarkable piece of theater. And yeah. as you can all tell, I, I we liked it. The yeah. play a lot. <laughs> we liked the play a lot. And I really yeah. think people should, I, I can totally see this getting Tony nominations. I really hope it does. It, it, it's a play that hasn't been eligible for Tony nominations and long was because it's always been off Broadway. So now it's eligible for that. So let's hope that, you know, this moves in that direction. So oh, time to wrap it up. Time to wrap it up. So what's your last minute thoughts on how I learned to drive? Last minute thoughts are if you're looking for a great think piece, a great um, writing piece, go and check out this play. It is serious. It is one act. Like you said, a hundred minutes. You're in there. You're in it. You're part of this experience that I think everyone should really just go and check out and have their own opinions on what is being done on this stage. Yes. And pr- I praise the the cast and crew and the whole team around this because it is a serious show and it's a serious show to be part of. Yeah. Yeah. I will just say, of course, Mark Brokaw directing this, of course, Mary Louise Parker and David Morse, along with John Day, Alyssa May Gold and Chris Myers, the Greek chorus, mm-hmm. which were amazing too. And Manhattan Theater Club for putting the the, the production behind this. It is remarkable to see something like this on a Broadway stage. And this there is there is a place for everything. Yeah. I always say any subject matter could work on a Broadway stage or a stage period, right? But I, but this uh, to me a lot of this boils down to Paula Vogel, Paula Vogel, Paula Vogel, a brilliant mastermind of our time. Read some of her other plays, go see this and support a brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, female playwright doing amazing things for the stage. Yeah. So um, there we go. How I Learned to Drive at Manhattan Theater Club at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater on Broadway. 
More to come, more to come, more to come. We hope you enjoyed listening today. Please go check us out on Instagram at Half Hour Podcast. Engage, comment, like, tell us what you thought of this podcast episode, what you'd like to hear more of. You could also follow us on Facebook. Twitter, TikTok, all the places at Two Worlds Entertainment. And once again, our Instagram for this podcast is at Half Hour Podcast. Alrighty, well, we hope you enjoyed listening today. Thanks for tuning in to us and signing off for now. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying ta ta. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.